You know, you can share this. Uh, Nate, Nate Libby's with us. Sorry, Nate Libby. Okay, so you don't have to say where you got it from, but you had a bad piece of meat for the holidays? Yeah, I, I was just telling you before we, <laughs> before you kind of trickily flicked us on the air here. Oh, this but, is a good one. This is nice. This is <clears throat> fun. Know, we bought a special tenderloin roast for Christmas Day, and we bought it at a local grocery store. Um, it wasn't cheap. It was a little <laughs> bit more than I was expecting, but that's a special occasion. We do this once a year. Right, yeah. Uh, we bought it on December 23rd. Uh, had it specially cut, you know, by the butcher and wrapped up and put it in the fridge. We take it out the morning of December 25th, and it is completely gray and stinky. <laughs> so we're looking at this uh, pretty expensive piece of meat and trying to figure out, you know, this is our Christmas meal. Should we just carve all the outside off, or, you know, should we put it in a pot roast, or should we feed it to the dogs? And So, uh, so yeah, so we didn't have our, our tenderloin roast on Christmas Day. We had meatballs instead. Well, I mean, it's better than the Bumpus's dogs coming in and taking your food. I mean, that's that's something. I yeah. mean, that's always a that's always a problem. So, but we uh, we took the the steak back to where we bought it, and they happily uh, refunded our money. That's so, good. That's you know, good. See, at least there's that, the Christmas spirit. At least that had an happy ending. Although meatballs, I didn't really meatballs. That'd be an interesting. Uh, it was a bit of a letdown. I mean, they were good, but <laughs> it wasn't tenderloin on Christmas Day. It's not the same. No. It's not the same. So you guys uh, getting ready to go back into session this week? You 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 pumped? You excited? You ambivalent? What what are you what what are the emotions you feel right now? Well, um, you know, I'm I, I'd say I'm looking forward to the work. Um, it'll be an interesting session. It's the short session of the legislature. We finished up our long session last year. Um, so this year headed into election season. It's a shorter session, fewer bills, um, hopefully uh, less less controversy, but you never know. Um, <laughs> you know You've I, been around this for a little while now. We yeah, hope for less controversy. Yeah. Um, you know, the governor obviously likes to, um, you know, set off fireworks around the legislative session. And I think through that, the Democrats and Republicans in the legislature have figured out ways to work with each other um, because the executive branch really just it appears seems more interested in grabbing headlines and shooting ideas down than actually um, enacting stuff. So, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll be productive. Um, last session, I think we definitely were productive. And um, and so it'll be interesting. We head back on Thursday. Excellent. Now, first thing on the docket, expanding Medicaid coverage for low-income people. Uh, this is on the docket for the upcoming session. I th- feel like this is like take number three for that. Is there going to be a different approach to it this time? What's going to be the difference this time? Yeah, uh, this is the third and final year of the opportunity for states to expand Medicaid coverage under the Affordable Care Act and for the state to receive 100% reimbursement for those costs from the federal government. Um, I think the legislation, though I haven't read it yet, uh, I've seen summaries of it, it's um, similar to past attempts to expand coverage for low-income working people Um, childless adults who've lost coverage, um, people who can't afford insurance even on the exchange, or because their income is in a certain bracket, don't qualify for anything on the exchange. Um, So several states have expanded Medicaid under this program, and the big takeaway um, that I'm seeing is in those states that have expanded coverage to those folks that don't have any insurance, they've seen a big drop in um, hospitals' uncompensated care or charity care. And, you know, that's important to our local hospitals because that represents a huge line item at the end of the year. I know both Lewiston hospitals have seen big increases in the amount of charity care that they're giving. And, of course, they have to write that off, and it's a loss. And, um, you know, those costs get picked up by the rest of us who have insurance. Um, Those costs have to be spread around. So 
Um, I think that's a big reason to look at expanding Medicaid. Another issue that we've been talking about is, um, you know, the, the heroin epidemic, the overall drug e- epidemic that we're seeing in the Northeast. And for a lot of folks who don't have insurance coverage, any kind of treatment option is astronomically expensive. Um, you know, I, there are treatment clinics that uh, provide treatment for folks that are addicted to heroin who want to get off. And uh, for those folks, a lot of them, uh, it really surprised me, the vast majority of these people are working people. To go in and get that treatment every week, um, you go in every day and it's $30 a pop. So that's 210 a week. That's thousands of dollars a year. Um, for folks that don't have insurance coverage, trying to get treatment for their addiction is nearly impossible. So um, I'm hopeful that um, you know we'll make progress on this front. I think it work, It makes sense financially. It makes sense for the health of our people. It's good for local healthcare jobs. Um, the federal government picks up 100% of the cost in the first year, 90% after that, um, to cover um, to cover Maine people for 10 cents on the dollar is you know is a good deal from the state taxpayer perspective. Talking with State Senator Nate Libby, we'll have more with him coming up. 20 degrees outside. I think I just heard a plane or a helicopter fly by. That was a little. That was a little low for my liking. You're listening to The Breakfast Club on Z1055. The news continues now on the area's only local radio station. LA's only local radio station. It's The Breakfast Club with Maddie Beats. State Senator Nate Libby is in for his first Monday of the month visit. Getting ready to go up to a guy. Now, do you, get, do you do like what we all do for kids, you know, their first day of school? You know, they take photos. We post them. Do you guys do like you know first day photos for the for the session? You know, lunchbox, backpack, whole nine yards. Right. Yeah. My mom, uh, my my wife uh, packs me lunch in a brown paper bag. <laughs> she cuts the crust off the sandwich. That's good. Juice box. Yeah. Probably box. a little Capri Sun. That's yep. nice. That's uh, good. Fruit snacks. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's um they they do the pomp and circumstance at the end of the uh, session. Um, we already did our our group photo uh, earlier this year. Um, so it's really just getting back to work. It's it's not a lot of fanfare. Yeah, just I don't know. I I could just picture the first day back. Oh, first day. I could picture y'all like swapping lunches. Like, hey, I've got a <laughs> snack cake. You want this apple? You know, the negotiations like, on that would take forever. I can imagine. There's yeah. got to be all sorts of stuff going right. on, and then you get the lobbyists involved, and you never know what's going to mm-hmm. happen. So, you know, as we continue here, we just got done talk about Medicaid expansion, drug epidemic, things of that nature. There's a story on the, the other week talking about the huge amounts of welfare money that's spent on lottery tickets. My first question to that is, huh? And second is, how do we know that it's getting spent there? Are they are they using like their card to buy those? I thought that wasn't possible. Like, what's what's going on with this? So it's not, to my understanding, it's not illegal to use your uh, EBT card with TANF benefits to purchase a lotto ticket. And the state is able to track, it's my understanding, they are able to track expenditures and transactions. And so a group called the Maine Center for Public uh, Interest Reporting um, take, took some of that data and showed that about 22 million um, had been won in the Maine lottery system using EBT cards. And so if you kind of extrapolate how much money had to be spent to win 22 million you know, we're talking hundreds of millions of dollars. And so I think it, this was a, uh, we knew this was going on, but it was surprising to see the scale of, of the amount of money that's being spent on lottery tickets. And if you step back for a second and think about this, if it's not illegal to purchase a lotto ticket with your EBT card, and you were surviving off of an EBT card, and you've got um, a lot of different issues in your life, it's not inconceivable that one would want to try to 
you know, win big in the lotto to improve your standing in life. Uh, I think people understand that, but at the same time, um, you know, I think we need to seriously look at at making some changes to the, to the law so that um, this is no longer allowed. Um, my bill that I sponsored last year that's still um, sitting in committee uh, bans the use of EBT cards for um, lotto tickets. It also bans it for a number of other activities that are um, currently legal today, like purchasing alcohol and tobacco, for example. Um, so I think there's a way we can, um, we can work this so that it's trackable, it's enforceable. It's just a matter of getting Democrats and Republicans to agree on this very hot-button issue. Both sides seem to dig in on this issue in particular. Um, <laughs> I'm shocked by this. Yeah, I'm, I'm stunned. So you'll see competing measures flying back and forth from the House and Senate, both you know, achieving the same end. But Republicans don't want to let Democrats you know, win on this issue. Um, Democrats don't want to give Republicans everything they want on this issue because, quite frankly, you know, the Republicans want some pretty crazy new restrictions. I support uh, a lot of different welfare reforms, but some of these are, are way over the top. So this is something I've worked on. Eric Brakey has worked on. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful we can uh, push ahead on this one. Um, we'll see. Any pushback from the from the Lottery Commission? That's going to be a, I, I mean, I don't want to sound like, you know, Captain Capital here, but that's going to be a big hit in the bottom line if, uh, you know, they were getting, if you had $22 million in winners, that's a lot that got spent on, on that. That's a big pushback on that. That's true. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that the lottery is run, run by the state. Uh, the vast majority of these revenues go into the, the education funding formula. Um, so, you know, these are state dollars from beginning to end. Um, ultimately, I think the legislature decides how this should be handled. So there's a new bill coming up that has to do with uh, the governor's commissioner's absence at legislative oversight hearings. Um, can you talk to us about this one a little bit? Sure. Um, to take one step back for a second, the Constitution, you know, is a pretty brilliant document, lays out exactly how our government's going to work. And a fundamental piece of this is that um, the administration, the executive branch, sort of executes the functions of government and enforces the laws and the legislature, you know, the people's body of government, provides oversight to all of those activities. Um, if you don't have oversight on all those activities, you basically have, a, you know, a totalitarian government. So our role in this in this process is really, really important. Um, Governor LePage, contrary to you know hundreds of years of history, has decided that you know this isn't so important. He wants to run um, his administration the way he wants. He doesn't want legislators like me and others asking questions about what they're doing to make sure everything is above board. So bucking tradition, he is um, basically preventing all of his commissioners from testifying before legislative committees. Um, and if we do want to ask questions, um, we have to uh, put them down on paper, send them to the administration, and I guess the governor reads everyone and then replies. Um, not a very efficient way to run things, and quite frankly, you know, it's important for us to be able to make sure that the public's dollars are being spent properly, that uh, policy that is established in law is being carried out. There have been um, dozens of instances where, you know, this administration has not carried out the letter of the law, and it's been the legislature applying pressure um, that has changed those situations, and so... Uh, there's a bill that's going to basically require uh, commissioners to testify in front of committees. Um, we've never had to have this before, but unfortunately, this is where we are today. Um, so we will see where that one goes. I expect the governor will veto this one. Um, but 
Maybe the next step will be you guys can write letters, uh, attach them to carrier pigeons, <laughs> send them out. Maybe that. Uh, maybe Pony yeah. Express, perhaps. I don't uh, know. That could you know, be something. You could wrap a note around a brick and <laughs> throw it through the Blaine house. Or window. you could... Oh, down, oh, oh now, now we're going to start talking about throwing things. I was going to say you could throw a message in a bottle and get it down the edge of Chicago River. I didn't, see if it I didn't mean to say throw it. I meant you could just you know, leave right. it there. Toss yeah. it. See, that, a light toss. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. There's the controversy. There it is. Right. <laughs> State <laughs> Senator Nate Libby joins us once a month. First Monday of each month. We'll have more with him coming up at 726, 20 degrees, Z1055. This is your local sports flash brought to you by Above and Beyond LLC. Your... 737. 20 degrees out. Temperature is dropping, though. It was like 20 point something earlier. Now it's 20 dot low. So not fun. It's going to be four tomorrow morning. Yeah, I'm very excited for that. That was, that was I missed this. Uh, give me the 50 from like a couple of weeks ago. I, I was I was happy with that. I was fine. I didn't need 80. You know, I was I was <laughs> fine. I was I was good. Oh, anyway. Let's go back to uh, a couple of things here. Uh, the main Republican Party has been working on uh, a referendum question for later this year, cutting the income tax. Um, I know the welfare reforms tied in with that, too. Uh, what's your take on cutting the income tax? Well, I think uh, I think cutting the income tax is, is a good thing to some extent for most people, for working people in particular. Um, in the last uh, budget, we did actually reduce the income tax by a couple of... Uh, least a point and a half for most people, and that goes into effect um, this year. And the idea being that a little bit more money is kept in folks' pockets um, from their paychecks each each month. Um, what the Republicans are trying to do is to basically cut the income tax in half, which would be a fairly large reduction in state revenues that would have to be made up through the sales tax, um, which would need to be increased, and then probably assistance to municipalities would have to be cut as well, so that raises property taxes. There was a poll that just came out. Um, Senator Tom Saviello from the Farmington area did a statewide poll and asked, what tax are people most concerned with? And overwhelmingly, the property tax was the one that people have the toughest time with, and that makes sense. It comes in a bill uh, twice a year. It's a big chunk of money, and uh, it seems to always be going up. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm in favor of tax reform that makes reductions to the income tax, um, but does so by exporting some of our tax burden to the tourist economy. Um, it needs to be a very careful, balanced approach. You know, I don't know that a political party has the chops to create that kind of policy. So, I'm, you know, I'm not a big fan of what they're trying to propose. Um, I think we need to do it incrementally over time. And I think, you know, there have been several attempts in the past to um, cap state revenues. And when people start exploring what that looks like, that almost always means reduced services locally and increased property taxes. And and there's a reason why Maine people have voted down these tax caps, these Pulaski tax referendums and so forth. Um, and you also mentioned that welfare is tied into this as well. Um, you know, I think there's a middle ground on welfare where Democrats and Republicans can can agree to things. Politics gets in the way. Um, but this welfare reform package that the Republicans are proposing is really the extreme end of the spectrum. It doesn't represent the middle, the compromise, the place where Democrats are generally feeling comfortable because the safety net is protected and we're not just hacking away at it like a, like a hatchet. I think it's going to be really an interesting referendum if the Republicans can get the signatures that they need to get it on the ballot. They've got, I think... Um, something like 26 days left to uh, finish gathering some 80,000 signatures. 
what I've heard is that they are struggling to get to that 80,000 goal. So we will see, probably by the next time I'm in, whether the GOP is able to get this on the ballot or not. Some good news. Hallelujah. Uh, UMaine's actually going to try out a new tuition assistance program for out-of-state students. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, this is a really, I think, innovative uh, program that they've started. Uh, the legislature and, and the board at UMaine have been um, sort of in agreement that um, revenues need to stop declining. Revenues for the institution need to go upward. Uh, a big issue that the universities faced is declining enrollment. And... Um, and so there's this uh, new program that they're going to start, which is targeting students from northeast states. And the offer is basically this. The university will match the tuition cost of any of these students' in-state flagship university tuitions. So right now, a student from uh, Pennsylvania um, is required to pay about $30,000 a year to attend the UMaine. Um, what they are going to uh, start doing is matching University of Pennsylvania's tuition for that qualified Pennsylvania student. The idea here is that to stop the uh, bleeding in student enrollment at the university to help revenues and to help prevent future cuts, they really need to fill every seat in every classroom. Um, they are just not cutting it by having you know, most of the classrooms half full. And so this is a program that was tried out in other states. It's been really successful. And if you think about it, it's kind of like the pricing system that you use on an, uh, for the airlines, where you know the airlines know that if you send a plane up in the air that's only half full, you're not making money on that plane. So towards the end of that uh, period before the flight, they'll lower prices to get the plane full. It's the same idea here. The university needs to have every seat full to make money. And if they are having classes that are half full, they're going to continue to not make money. Do you think there's going to be any type of incentive after that to keep those out-of-staters here? Because, you know, there is a big deficit right now in terms of, like, able-bodied <laughs> workers and, you know, jobs. Right. We've got that we've got that people deficit running here in yeah. Maine. We've got, uh, obviously, our quality of life. Um, that's, I think, a big incentive for people that we talk to who've moved here from out-of-state. The other big thing is the Opportunity Maine tax credit, which is specifically geared to this problem. People get tax breaks if they graduate from a main school and stay here after graduating. Not a lot of people use it, but I think with more marketing, more awareness of this program, it's a really powerful tool and makes good financial sense for out-of-state kids to settle in Maine. Talking with State Senator Nate Libby. Coming up, let's see, what are we going to talk about coming up? We're going to talk about the... Uh, the LePage Eves Goodwill Hinkley thing. That ought to be fun. And then we'll uh, wrap it up with a little presidential politics as well. Listen to The Breakfast Club on Z1055. The Breakfast Club! The news continues now on the area's only local radio station. Station, hanging out with State Senator Nate Lippy. Final segment with him. The, Le, the Governor LePage, Mark Eves, Goodwill Hinkley thing. Uh, recently, the Attorney Attorney General decided she was not going to pursue a criminal investigation into the governor's actions. Um, what's the story here? Is there anything more to that? And is that really the end of that situation? Or is there still other stuff happening with it? Yeah, I don't think it's the end of the situation. But, um, you know, I do know that the Attorney General had looked at um, this case, had looked at the investigation that was conducted by the Government Oversight Committee. And in her estimation, she concluded that the governor did not um, break any state law. Um, and this is in the situation where 
The governor threatened to withhold funding for Goodwill Hinckley if they hired Speaker Mark Eves as their next president. Goodwill Hinckley, you know, upon receiving that um, communication, uh, rescinded their employment offer to Mark Eves. So what's key here, I think, is that the attorney general is charged with working for the legislature and investigating infractions of state law. Uh, in her estimation, there was no state law broken, but um, Mark Eves is continuing to pursue his um, federal case against the governor because of uh, violations of federal law and, I think, the Civil Rights Act. So um, that piece is still on the table. And then the other piece here is that um, there are several House members, main uh, House members, who want to bring forward articles of impeachment to the House floor. Basically, when they uh, saw this report of the attorney general declining to um, conduct a criminal investigation, they said, we are going to continue to go forward. So uh, this will probably be uh, an issue for the House um, uh, later this, this uh, month or next month, and uh, we'll see where it goes. Sounds like a plan. Let's get into the uh, presidential politics stuff, which is always a fun one. We've had debates on both sides. They've all been talked about. Democratic debates always seem to be on Saturday night, which I, I always find interesting. Um, let, let's talk a little bit about uh, the Republican side. Trump is, is still trying to make America great again, and it seems like a lot of folks are buying into it. But Ted Cruz has started to move ahead a little bit of uh, Ben Carson and, and the rest of the gang. Yeah, it's interesting. We um, Of course, we talked about this over the summer, and I, I recall four or five months ago that you know, Carly Fiorina and Ben Carson were kind of the sweethearts of the Republican Party and expected to do very, very well. Uh, we get into the beginning of the new year, and they have dropped like uh, bricks. They are down right near the bottom. Um, and so you've seen uh, some folks sort of uh, on the rise to take their place. Ted Cruz is, uh, appears to be the, the biggest one who is in a position to challenge Donald Trump. But Donald Trump, he's kind of amazing. He continues to uh, go up in the polls. It doesn't matter how ridiculous his statements are. It doesn't matter uh, what groups of people he's offended uh, this week. He uh, He's just very, very steady. Um, so, you know, it'll be interesting for the Republican, f uh, you know, party um, to see if Cruz is going to be the one to challenge Donald Trump or if Marco Rubio is going to be the one to challenge Trump. Um, but at this point, you know, he is, Donald Trump is so far ahead of the rest of the field this is a real clear politics poll. He's at 36%. This is an aggregate number to Ted Cruz's 18%. So, you know, almost double um, of his next closest opponent. I'd say, you know, we can probably write off Carly Fiorina. We could probably write off uh, Rand Paul, uh, George Bush III. We'll probably write <laughs> off him. Um, so in my estimation, like you know, yeah. it's, uh, it's a... Marco Rubio, Ted Cruz, Donald Trump kind of calculation. Of course, you know, this all could be meaningless when folks in Iowa in the in the cold, dead winter go out to caucus. Uh, That's early coming next right month. on. Yeah, I think it's four weeks. Mm -hmm. um, that could all change. It really could. It's, it's always amazing how Iowa and New Hampshire have the have, have the voters, the voters full attention. Now, over on the Democratic side, Seems like Hillary's got a fairly big lead, but Bernie Sanders certainly has some supporters. I see plenty of signs out there all over the place. Oh, yeah. Uh, Bernie's uh, supporters are very enthusiastic. Um, but uh, here again, Hillary Clinton has been leading throughout this race, and her lead over the last couple of months at least has actually increased. She's at about 54 percent. 
to Bernie Sanders, uh, 31%. And then down at 4.5% is um, Mr. O'Malley. Um, so I'd say, you know, looking at, at this poll, again, it's the Iowa caucus goers who are going to make the first um, decision on this, and then the New Hampshire primary voters, and that's going to be early next month. I'm going to predict that Hillary is going to walk away with this, and, uh, you know, it's going to be a much, I think, less interesting horse race on the Democratic side than the Republican side. State Senator Nate Libby joins us on the first Monday of each month. Nate, good to see you. Good to see you, Matty. Happy New Year. Yeah, Happy New Year to you as well, and uh, be safe going up and down the turnpike. Remember, you've got those, you've got those plates, so if you, if you cut anybody off or you go too fast, they know who you are. They know who I am, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Makes me a very safe driver. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine. 755, 19 degrees outside. We'll have more Don Malpass coming up next hour from the Boy Scouts of America here in the Z. The Breakfast Club.